Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. This week on the broadcast, we're talking about how to understand God's will for your life. Yesterday, we looked at this question in general terms by ticking on the first question of the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And I believe we need to spend a little more time talking in general categories before we get to specifics. And this is where the book of Ecclesiastes is so helpful. The author examines all of life, and he finds that if you make anything but God your ultimate end, it is utter vanity. So in chapter one, he discovered that seeking knowledge as your ultimate end is vanity. In chapter two, he discovered that living for pleasure as your ultimate end is vanity. In chapters three through six, he discovered that making labor or work or empire building as your ultimate end is vanity. And then he starts to explain why seeking these are vanity. He says, because everything is temporary, chapter two, because everything is predetermined, chapter three, because everything is liable to injustice, because everything is prone to loss, chapter four. And he finally concludes at the end of the book with this in chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So there it is, brothers, the whole duty of man. In other words, this is God's will for your life to fear God and to keep his commandments. So let's walk through that together. What does it mean? Is that the right place to start? What does it mean to fear God? Or do you guys want to start somewhere else? Because I know that if I ask a question, somebody will say, well, I think we should start here instead of there. I mean, you asked this, but. <laughs> but I'm really going to answer it. No, I think uh, the fear of God is a great place to start because I think it's often misunderstood. Um, the idea of fear is connected to the glory of God. So when you understand who God is, in, in, and I mean understand in, in not the entirety of it because we don't really truly fully know God in all of his essence, but when what we do know of him, we know of his majesty, his, his glory, his power, his wisdom, and everything that far transcends anything that we have we have an awe of that, a reverence for that. Um, he is creator, and there is this huge chasm between creator and creature, not in the sense that God doesn't condescend to commune with us and fellowship with us, but in who we are compared to him, there's this, this huge gap. And when we begin to understand his immensity, we realize that we need to bow in reverence and awe and um, fear. It's not a word to, to be afraid of um, when we understand its essence, that it's not that we're cowering before him, um, but it's uh, a reverential adoring. 
What you, what you said is right in terms of, you know, there's a connection between our understanding of who God is and this, and this fear that we have. Proverbs 10.9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So they're combining knowing him and fearing him. And when the writer is saying, um, fear God for this is what life is about, he, to fear him is to commit yourself to him by faith. To uh, it's not it's not as Russ said and this numinous feeling of terror uh, and it's not really it doesn't awe doesn't even totally encapsulate the whole idea it's the attitude of a certain receptivity uh, that manifests itself in in belief in obedience in love for the this living God you know this is why Proverbs will say in Proverbs fourteen twenty seven the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Or Proverbs nineteen twenty three, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. So that so this you know, this reverential uh, desire to believe and obey and love God is is really uh, where we find our satisfaction. Um, what Russ was saying about you know the terror in that you know this is, brings up what uh, Martin Luther talked about. He made a distinction between servile fear and filial fear, filial fear. Servile fear is the kind of fear that uh, we might have of of the torture chamber and the and and the tormentor, the jailer and the executioner. It's the kind of dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened by the clear and present danger that is represented by another person. And now, don't get us wrong. Don't get this wrong. Actually, there there is room for that kind of terror uh, among humanity because if we are if if we are sinners without a savior um, that the very knowledge of God can be frightening it's it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God it says mm-hmm. in in Hebrews 1031 um, but this filial fear uh, that's the kind of fear that a child has for its parent in this regard Luther's thinking of a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father or mother who dearly wants to please them. He has a fear of anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or even punishment, but rather because he's afraid of displeasing the one who is in that child's world, the source of security and love. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what it means to fear God. As I, I said, you know, it's the receptivity that manifests itself in obedience and belief and love for the living God. Yeah. Um, so we're asking. I, I would just quickly add that there, that worship is involved in yeah. that. I mean, that's. I think that's the point of Psalm one eleven. Mm-hmm. It starts with praise the Lord, and then it goes through all of these things that that God is to be praised for. And then after nine verses of saying that, says, "Holy and awesome is His name. Mm-hmm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." Mm-hmm. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So it be, the psalm begins mm-hmm. with praise, ends with praise, and mm-hmm. in between is you know God. Once you know God and what He, who He is, what He's done, you have a uh, you realize holy and awesome is He. Mm-hmm. It's good to fear Him. Yeah, and then it ends in praise again. Yeah, um, and I just think that's so hard because we um, there's no being like God. Yeah. And so we have this sense of you you either fear somebody or you love somebody. And in scripture, no, it's all together. It it's supposed to be this idea that in essence that fear and love are intertwined, um, that produces a worship, um, produces a trust, produces all of these wonderful things. 
Um, but that's hard for our minds to wrap our, our uh, it, it around because we fear those that are powerful um, but aren't good. Yeah. And God is able to bring all of that together. Well, we naturally fear those things that we set up as our idols. I mean, David Foster Wallace, an atheist, uh, quoted by saying, you know, we all worship, everybody worships. It's impossible not to. And he said, uh, it's a good idea to find a God to worship because if you worship false gods like money, you'll never have enough, like sex, you'll get old and not be able to do that at one point. Beauty, you'll you'll get ugly at some point. Your mind, you'll always be threatened by someone smarter than you. So we always are fearing that which is at the center of our universe, that which we're building our kingdom around. Um, because we fear to displease that thing or we fear to lose that thing. And I think I think this is a difficult thing, but we, we do need to kind of move on. We're asking the question, what is... Uh, how do we understand God's will for our life? We went to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, here it is. Here's the will of God for your life. Fear God and keep his commandments. So we just covered what does it mean to fear God? So the second part, you know, if, if, God's, if God's will is for us to keep his commandments, what commandments does he want us to keep? I mean, what is he talking about here? The Bible is a huge book. You know, we started it, this discussion with that shorter catechism question, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? A little children's catechism asks the question, how do you glorify God? And, and it answers by loving him and keeping his commands. And so there's, there's a continuity here between our love for who God is and keeping his commandments. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So, um, you know, what commandments are we to keep? Every imperative of God's word. In fact, uh, you know, Moses instructed the people of Israel in Numbers fifteen thirty nine. remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So he's reminding them who he is and he double makes that double emphasis. And then, okay, my response to this God who is, is loving him and keeping his commandments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to, um, to love God and not keep those commandments. Yeah. It's not a feeling. Um, it's, you know, loving God is expressed in obedience to the very things that he's commanded, his requirements. It's, it's not true, um, true obedience, uh, and it's not true love unless it manifests itself in obedience. Mm-hmm. I, I love you, but I'm not going to do what you want. Right. I mean, it's like, that <laughs> right. doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. It's interesting, in Deuteronomy 6, um, in the chapter where it's telling parents to, in essence, make God part of all of their life. You're instructing your kids, you're teaching them, you're, you're, and that should be moment by moment, day by day, um, in the details of life. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, when your kids ask, in essence, well, why are we doing this? Why are we obeying his commands? Mm-hmm. God could have said, because I said so, I'm God. What he says is, no, what you tell him is, you do it as a response to the great grace that you've received. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you look at this and it says, what commandments, we, we do obey all what God has said in his word. Um, 
simplify it down to start with the, the, the core of the Ten Commandments. What are the principles taught there? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? Well, because God has redeemed me. He, through his Son, has provided salvation. And in response to that great salvation, I, I out of love, mm-hmm. I say, I want to do what he says. I want to do things that reflect the character of God. Um, then begin to work through some of the epistles in the New Testament that flesh those out. Um, they're not necessarily new commandments in the in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just adding some of the structure to what was already there. Yeah. Um, and so working Putting through some, flesh some of those on the bone. Yeah. yeah. There's a dynamic relationship between the summary of the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments themselves. The summary: love the Lord God, love your neighbor yourself. Help us to see the essence of what the commandments say. But then we get the idea, well, I can just love however I want to. Well, actually, no, there's a very defined and precise way to love, and that is, like you said, fleshed out in the commandments. Remember you said- Jesus will do in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Helps us work through, okay, what's the heart of the commandment? Yep, yep. But the summary helps us because, again, it combines duty and delight. Who doesn't like loving? Mm -hmm. Yeah. and Who doesn't like being loved? Even the Ten Commandments are a summary, which are spelled out throughout all, all of Scripture. Yeah. And- and the idea is that this is this is wisdom. That you know, the disobedience to the commandments of God is going to expose us uh, in the final day to the anger and judgment of God, mm-hmm. and uh, the failure to keep God's commandments now is going to rob us as believers of the enjoyments of the blessings that He would like to shower upon us. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you made that point. Um, which commandment did you ever obey from your heart, and you said, "Man, that that stunk." <laughs> and conversely, which commandment have you broken before and found true and lasting and abiding joy? Mm. It doesn't it doesn't exist. That again shows us how glorifying God and enjoying it forever are intimately linked together. The good news is that we're not left up on our own. Yeah. That what God commands, he also equips. Yeah. So he's given us his word and spirit to help us in that path of obedience, which is for us the, the greatest path of joy. That's right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're asking the question this week, how can I understand or discern God's will for my life? We hope that you tune in next time.